You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this week is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on his busy site, Read and Reaction. Busy YouTube channel going on there for Read and Reaction. We'll get into that a little bit, too. Uh, there, uh, of course, you guys noticed, too, in the last week, busy uh, Gators Breakdown YouTube channel, too. So, uh... Will, man, we're uh, we're bringing the video content to the Gator fans out there. Yeah, man, we've I've brought on some new people to read and reaction to help out, and and those guys are much better on the video side than I am. So yeah, that's one of the things that we're planning on doing both, you know, both the, over the summer, but then once the fall starts, really breaking things down there on the on the site verbally that or you know written down. That'll be my role, and then the uh, the video will be Nick and and then Robert Parker. We brought on a new guy, Robert Parker. He's going to be helping out as well. Sounds good. Sounds good. A lot of a lot of stuff out there. And uh, look, it's June, and one of my favorite episodes we got coming up this this episode here. Preseason magazines are out. They've been out a couple of weeks, so still waiting on that Lindy's SEC magazine to hit the shelves, and it, it hit this past uh, this past week. So got that one. And Will, it's just kind of you know, it's uh, it's just when you can taste it, you can you can you can smell football uh, just just around the corner. Yeah, and it's a real football season this year. We're not questioning whether we're actually going to have a season. We're not switching from a normal season to a 10-game SEC schedule. We're not, we're not mocking. Yeah, we're not wondering these preseason magazines are rendered useless now because of a COVID <laughs> season. Uh, we're not mocking the Big Ten for playing like five games and still thinking they deserve a shot at the national title. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a new year. I mean, obviously, hope springs eternal in college football, especially for the big boys. And Florida's one of the big boys, which is what makes it exciting, right? We know we got Alabama coming up pretty quick, and then and then you got the normal LSU, Georgia, and sort of you know the rest of the SEC East as well. But I mean, you know, there's nothing better in college football season, but, but you always know you sort of, I remember as a kid going on vacation and getting those Lindy's magazines and, and, and all those preseason magazines and really sort of previewing both the NFL and college football during summer vacation. And by the time you got back from summer vacation, it was football season. So, uh, you know, only a couple months left, a couple months left. Yep. Yeah, uh, quickly, Will, I, I threw it in there. So we already got a comment. We did start like, Three minutes late, so wasn't too bad. So Sean Abel's wondering how the baseball game went. <laughs> uh, we lost six to five. My my son had a rough night. A couple of Ks with the bases loaded, but um, he had a good time. He's nine years old, so at the end of the day, as long as he gets ice cream at the end, he doesn't really care. But uh, <laughs> no ice cream tonight because I had to get back for Gators breakdown, so I'll have to make it up to him tomorrow. There we go. All right, I tell him, tell, tell him I'll uh, uh, I'll have to. I have to send some ice cream some, somehow my way since, since it's my fault he missed it tonight. <laughs> uh, he'll be all right. He'll survive. <laughs> all right. There we go. So plenty, plenty to get into with these preseason magazines. A lot, lot to discuss there. Uh, much different from 2020 to 2021. Not, not totally different, but there are some different aspects from 2020. And the Gators being picked to win the SEC East, a comfortably top five, top ten team, to now just being outside of the top ten in these preseason magazines. Before we move forward, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com. 
slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown content there. You can join our Chomp newsletter uh, there as well. Also, you can watch it on YouTube like many of you are doing right now. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. It really, really, really helps us out here on YouTube. Let's Gators fans find all the Gators content here from Gators Breakdown on YouTube. And if you can't check us out live, if you're on the go, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, well, so let me, uh, you're probably going to hear a shuff- shuffling of some pages and stuff going on. Uh, the one physical piece of media that I still buy is these preseason magazines. So we'll start with the rankings in the Athlon magazine. Alabama, number one, no surprise. Clemson, number two, no surprise there. Oklahoma, no surprise. Number three, Ohio State, four, Georgia, five. Well, I mean, you probably can just take the preseason polls from all of these magazines the last three, four years, rinse, repeat, recycle. Uh, there's your top five in, in, in most years there. Maybe somewhat of the first surprise, Texas A&M number six there for Athlon. Iowa State number seven. Cincinnati number eight. Oregon number nine. North Carolina ten. And here comes your Florida Gators at number 11 in Athlon's magazine. So, Will, couple teams in front of Florida that you probably could make a good case uh, that Florida maybe should be in front of. Cincinnati, Oregon, North Carolina. I mean, what world are we living in right now where Iowa State and Cincinnati are ranked in front of Florida after what Florida has done the last few years? Uh, but that's the, the, the world of college football and, and the kind of bounce off of 2020. But in the first uh, poll here, Will, Florida comes in at number 11 in Athlon. The top five, no surprise, Maybe get your first surprise there with Texas A&M at number six, and then the Gators come in at number 11. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense when you think about who they're going to have to play, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to have to play Alabama. Everybody knows that's likely a game where they're an underdog. Georgia, they're going to be an underdog. LSU's probably a pick them. And then if they have one of those weird games they've had in 2018 or 2020 where the team decides not to show up, you're looking at a, you know, a, a nine and four season when you factor in the bowl game or, or maybe, maybe 10 and three. And that's good enough for, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th in the country, even though you're in the SEC. I, I think Florida is where they are because of who they have to play against. I mean, you look at the teams in front of them. <laughs> there are teams they have to play that are sitting in front of them. That's one of the reasons that they're that they're there. And I think, you know, when you think about Cincinnati, you think about Iowa State, you think about even North Carolina, those are teams that have starting quarterbacks who are returning. And there's a lot of certainty in terms of what you get. And I think with Emory Jones, we've talked about there's a high ceiling. Um, the question is, where's the floor, right? And is he going to be able to achieve that ceiling or is it going to take a little while to get there? And, and that's really, I think, going to be the question and the determining factor for Florida season is, you know, when you, when you compare him to a guy like Brock Purdy at Iowa State, um, you know, Purdy is somebody who is has more experience and can potentially drive that team forward. Um, Sam Howell, I think, at North Carolina, he's somebody who can also drive that team forward. Matt Corral at Old Miss is a guy I'm actually really thinking is going to play pretty well. And and I actually agree. I think Texas A&M is going to be a really good team this year. I, I've never been a huge fan of Kellen Mond. And even though he was able to sort of to steer the ship, I'm curious to see what happens when Jimbo has his own hand-picked quarterback in there with all the talent he's been able to amass out there in College Station. So um, I think it sounds about right based on what you would think in terms of where Florida is going to be an underdog. Um, obviously, if Florida can pull an upset in one of those games, they end up you know, top five, top seven at the end of the year, and that's sort of what you're hoping for. Yep, let me get here to what Ash- Athlon actually had to say about Florida. It says, when we last saw the Gators, they were giving up so many points to Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl that the Sooner Schooner had to get their tires rotated at halftime. Ouch. Uh, perhaps the team that traded punches with Alabama in the SEC title game was just not too interested in playing in what considered a constellation contest. Then again, Florida did give up 37 points to a decidedly average LSU team in the regular season finale, so perhaps the generous generous defense was an accurate personality indicator. Uh, Well, that side of the ball was. (laughs) We knew what we were getting that side of the ball. Um, That defense should improve. If it doesn't, Florida might not win five games. Pretty uh, big – um, um, notion there for from Athlon. It says because the exodus of talent on the other side, beginning with quarterback Kyle Trask, and an all-world tight end Kyle Pitts is profound. But Dan Mullen is nothing if not an offensive genius, and he'll get to work with talented Emory Jones, a fourth-year dual-threat junior. Demarcus Bowman is a former prep standout who bolted Clemson for the swamp and would be counted on to anchor the run game, provided he's ruled eligible. Now uh, we don't have to worry about that no longer. Um, there is experience returning at all three levels of the defense, but coordinator Todd Grantham 
had better fix the Gators' pass defense, which gave up 28 scoring strikes last year. Linebacker Ventro Miller is a tackling machine, and Ian Brittencox Jr. had nine and a half tackles for loss last year. Mullen and his staff have recruited well the past two years, and it's time to see if their heralded classes are ready to perform. So that was Florida, number 11. There for Athlon, let's go to Lindy's Will. Alabama, number one. Oh, excuse me if you've heard that before. Clemson, number two. See if you heard that before. Oklahoma, number three. Georgia, four in this one. So they have Georgia in the top four. Ohio State, five. Texas A&M again at number six. Iowa State, again, number seven. Cincinnati again, number eight. North Carolina, nine. Oregon, ten. Difference here, they have Notre Dame at number 11. And Lindy's has the Gators at 12th. So Athlon has the Gators 11th. Lindy's has the Gators 12th. Uh, and here's what Lindy's has to say. Building a new mousetrap. Gators on the run with a question. Question mark. So the Gators have won 29 games in three years, and their team speed remains dangerous across the field. But how do they make up for the loss of quarterback Kyle Trask, tight end Kyle Pitts, and wide receiver Kadarius Toney, and five other NFL draft picks? Coach Mullen has the personnel to put more emphasis on the run and count on a new secondary and staff to shore up the back of the defense. They gave up 31 points a game last year. The good news, Will, Emory Jones has shown flashes of brilliance as a dual threat change up for three years. The top three running backs return, and they'll be joined, and they put pushed, question mark, by explosive Clemson transfer Demarcus Bowman. The bad news, the defense was historically bad last season as in Florida's worst since World War One, but in keeping coordinator Todd Grantham and firing two secondary coaches, Mullen essentially scapegoated the defensive backfield, which is even less experienced this year. Our call. The Gators are the second-best team in the SEC East, but what does that mean? It means they'll have to do it a little bit differently this year. They'll have to control the ball more, which in turn might keep their defense off the field. So, well, that's a couple ways to look at it. You know, we have talked about, Maybe the offense taking a step back, but being a little different, being a run-focused offense, maybe being on the field a little bit longer, defense takes a step up, uh, and will that be enough? You know, how far is the drop on offense while be different, and how big is the jump on defense? And, that, you know, you mesh those two things together, and you'll you see what you'll get uh, out of Florida. And, look, well, of course, you know, as soon as 2020 ended, we were going through – what Florida lost in 2020, what they lost or what they have returning for 2021. And with all that, all the love <laughs> Georgia was going to get, and look, they make no bones about it. They, you know, there, there's no question like there was last year uh, of heading into 2020 and beating Georgia and could Florida do it. I mean, it, it's pretty cut and dry. They're both labeling Florida, and there's no question the second best team in the SEC East, not really giving Florida a chance here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably deserved based on the way JT Daniels played at the end of the year, based on the talent that Georgia's amassed there, and and based on just the fact that Emory Jones is an unknown. Now, if you had JT Daniels coming in as a complete unknown, and you had him facing off against Emory Jones as a complete unknown, then maybe you'd say, hey, it's a wash. But, you know, Daniels got some time last year, and Jones just hasn't gotten that kind of time to show us what he can do over his three or four years there at Florida. The one thing that I think is important to note is that Clemson was the preseason top 25 number one team last year. Um, Florida was ranked eighth. Um, Texas A&M was ranked 13th. So right in that range where Florida's being ranked right now, a couple things go right for the Aggies last year, and they ended up just barely missing out on the playoffs. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had already lost to Alabama. Um, you know, so if Florida plays a close game to Alabama, is able to able to either win that one or loses close and then runs the table the rest of the way, you can envision a season that would turn out like Texas A&M. And let's be honest, there's always teams that drop out of top 25. Penn State, LSU was ranked sixth in the preseason polls last year, and all of us knew that was wrong. Right? We all looked at everybody they lost with Burrow and, and, and Jamar Chase and all those guys and said, how in the world are they ranked there? Um, Oregon was ninth, Notre Dame was 10th, Auburn was 11th, Wisconsin was 12th. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's usually four or five teams that move out of the top 25 from the initial picks from these magazines. But, you know, like you said, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Georgia are always going to be mainstays up there because of the way that they recruit. Uh, well, so I got to go to the next part here. And this may catch some Gator fans by surprise and some good news. Uh, you know, some of that was good, some of that lawed and muddling and what he's able to do on offense, but. Very, very high on Mullen here. 
as far as ranking SEC's head coaches? Well, I'll give you one guess. Who's number one? <laughs> of course, Nick Saban's number one of Athlon's ranking the SEC coaches. It's not number Lane two. Kiffin? <laughs> number two. Uh, go ahead, Will. Go ahead, go ahead and guess number two. Let's make a game I mean, out of it. I would guess they're going to give it to Orgeron, maybe? Nope. Huh. I or would have given it to the guy. Uh, okay, that is somebody with a national title. Yeah, so that, yeah, that would make sense. Like, I probably like off the cuff. I probably wouldn't have thought of him number two, but then once you hear him, like, okay, yeah, that makes complete sense. Dan Mullen, number three, Will Miles, as far as F line ranking the SEC head coaches. Here, what they have to say: It's a close call between Mullen and Kirby Smart for number three spot among SEC coaches. A small edge goes to Mullen after lifting Florida to its first East Division title since 2016 last season. The Gators finished 8-4 and four in the 20 season, gave the eventual national champion Alabama its toughest battle in a 52-46 shootout in the SEC championship game. Florida is 29-9 under Mullen and has earned a trip to New Year's six bowls in all three years. Mullen is regarded as one of college football's top offensive coaches, knows how to maximize every bit of talent from the roster. Before taking over in Gainesville, Mullen went 69-46 with eight straight trips at Mississippi State from 2009 to 2017. Kirby Smart is number four, and here's what they say about him. Georgia's three-year run atop the SEC East ended in 2020, but Smart's program is showing no signs of slowing down. The Bulldogs have emerged as an annual national title contender under Smart's watch, and with the amount of talent flowing through Athens, another chance on the big stage seems inevitable. Georgia finished 8-5 and eight and five in Smart's first debut season in 16, proceeded to go 36-7 and seven with three East Division titles from 2017 to 2020. Even though the Bulldogs fell short of another last fall, they still finished number seven after a Peach Bowl victory over Cincinnati. Kirby Smart is 52 and 14 overall and 32 and 9 in the SEC. Will, surprise there. Um, Mullins uh, ahead of Kirby um, at number three. As you said, Ed Orgeron has a national championship. You probably could have made a case for him if he just didn't fall off the face of the earth last year. Still got some big victories over Florida and LSU late in the season. Uh, there, but he does have a national championship. Uh, you know, just two seasons ago, um, I think you know, pure coach. When you, when you look at pure coach, you can you see no problem with this. I think when you factor in everything else and maybe projection, you might can see where okay, you could see where you might throw somebody in like Kirby Smart over Dan Mullen when you look at projection. But I think you know, based off of 2020, Dan Mullen getting that head to head victory over Kirby Smart heading into 2021. Nobody should have a problem with Dan Mullen at number three as far as SEC head coaches. I mean, I'm okay with it. I've made the case that Dan Mullen is a better on-field coach. I think, like you said, when you take everything in totality, I mean, Kirby Smart has an SEC title. Dan Mullen doesn't yet. And yeah. so putting, you know, regardless of what you think, I know there's that been that stuff going around with, you know, coaches who do the most with the least amount of talent <laughs> or, or the, the least with the most amount of talent. And Smart's always going to be on those lists until he wins championships because of where he's recruited. But, you know, guys won an SEC championship. He's played for a national championship. And I think that's a lot of disrespect for Ed Orgeron. I mean, he's 45 and 14 in his years there at, at LSU. Kirby Smart 52 and 14. So he's won, you know, he's won what seven more games. But Orgeron's got the national title, and you yeah. can sit there and go, yeah, well, he brought in Joe Burrow. Well, he he weathered the Joe Burrow sort of, you know, the year where Burrow didn't play very well. Burrow played about equivalent to Felipe Franks in 2018. Still had the faith in him and brought in Joe Brady. And I know people give Brady give Brady a lot of credit for that national championship. At the same time, you got to be humble enough to bring in that guy who's going to help you do that. Right. And, and, and that's part of coaching. Will, what, what, what is, what is Dan Mullins? One thing that people want to harp on him about sometimes is keeping uh, his friends on the on, on coaching staff. Sometimes you have to make the hard decision. I was about to say, you can't keep Todd Grantham and then say, if the defense doesn't succeed, it's a reflection on the head coach at that point. Right. And Orgeron made changes. He decided he needed to make changes in the offense and LSU all of a sudden took off. Now I think that LSU team was primed to take off with a lot of the talent they had. And I obviously liked Joe Burrow a lot early on and wanted him to wanted Florida to go after him as a transfer. But um, I think think you look at, here's the deal. I, I think you list guys with national titles first, assuming they didn't just walk into one like Larry Coker. And Orgeron didn't walk into one. He helped build that team. And, you know, you, I, I think in some respects he hasn't gotten credit for some of the guys. You know, bringing in, bringing in a guy like Burrow as a transfer and turning him into a star 
means you use the transfer portal about as well as you can use it, right? I mean, if, if Florida brought in a guy and he won the Heisman Trophy as a transfer, you'd, we would all be lauding Dan Mullen's ability to mine the transfer portal. Um, so I think Orgeron's underrated here. I think the smart Mullen debate is going to go on and on and on until one of them finally wins a championship. If, if, if Mullen can pull off an SEC title this year, then I think it becomes very clear that he's better than Mullen. I think there are points on either side. I think when it comes to taking on top 25 teams and not just laying an egg against teams that are equivalently talented, Dan Mullen's teams are almost always up for those games. It's the ones against the Kentuckys and the Missouris of the world that drive you crazy. Smart sort of has both. He, struck, he, he has a record that is less than exemplary against teams that have similar levels of talent. And then every once in a while, he's got that South Carolina third string quarterback game that pops up. And, uh, and you know, you sort of wonder what's going on, why they didn't just run the ball down the opponent's throat. So I would not go to Georgia were I an offensive recruit, but I would absolutely go to Georgia if I was a defensive recruit. I think that sort of says that, you know, we've got an offensive savant on one side, we got a defensive recruiter on the other. And that's one of the cool parts about the SEC East is we get to figure out who's going to win. Yeah. Now, I know Mullen only has one, one victory over – and I, look, you, to me, you're still judged on the SEC West, whatever Alabama, of course, does, and LSU to a point because they won the national championship. You know, since Mullen has been at Florida, Kirby has lost every game versus LSU and Alabama. Mullen does have the one victory over LSU in 2018, that same 2018 team that beat Georgia, I think, the very next week after they lost to Florida uh, there. So, you know, if Mullen does have that victory, has one victory over Georgia. Uh, there, but like you said, to me, it's splitting hairs. If you put Kirby Smart above Dan Mullen, I'm not getting all up in arms about it. If you put Dan Mullen ahead of Kirby Smart, I'm not getting all up in arms about it. You can make the case for both guys uh, to be above uh, the other. Will, here we go. My favorite part of the whole thing in these Athlon magazines and the Lindy's magazines scouting the Gators that you get from opposing coaches. And look, we, we don't know who these are, they keep them anonymous, uh, you know, rightfully so. <laughs> so these guys can put this in the magazine every year. So we don't know where it comes from. We don't know if it comes from assistant coaches, head coaches uh, there, but uh, a lot of it there um, that you get to hear from what the uh, coaches uh, think about Dan Mullen and staff and players here. So here's what opposing coaches have to say in Athlon's magazine. Dan Mullen continues to excel at understanding his personnel and offense and building great plays around them. They got away from the run a little bit, which we assume was a move tailored to their confidence in their quarterback and guys like Kyle Pitts. They could just as easily switch back this season based on what they have in Emory Jones and what they've lost at tight end and receiver. The speed is insane. You fear it. Their receiver speed is unbelievable. It changes how you scheme their entire offense. Defensively, they seem to be all over the place. Believe it or not, they weren't as exotic on third down as they have been in previous seasons. My guess is that personnel couldn't handle it all. Interesting there, Will. Juniors and seniors, buddy. Juniors and seniors. Juniors and seniors and that the personnel couldn't handle it all. I'm going to go back and read what we had last year where some of these opposing coaches lauded Todd Grantham and lauded the talent on Florida's roster. And now a year later, it says, my guess is the personnel couldn't handle it all. It was surprising, so there they go, they admit, it was surprising they would struggle against lesser teams and then go out and play world beater. It's no secret in the industry that Dan is hard to work for. There you go. <laughs> and Todd Grantham is stubborn. So watching that relationship maintain sure has been weird. So these are guys who are around the block. They know each other. They know each other in coaching circles. And here we go. It's no secret in the industry that Dan is hard to work for. And Grantham is stubborn, so watching that relationship maintain sure has been weird. The secondary is always good. They seem to have a factory going there. Where they lacked was the front. It seemed like they didn't get the nasty. It seemed like they didn't get nasty against the run. You could run at their inside guys and have some success. You should not be able to run against a Florida defense that easily. This is a consistent, talented offense that's transitioning and needs more effective scoring defense. If they can't improve on run defense and points allowed, you'll see a noticeable regression. So there it goes to our point there, Will. If it can't get better on defense, Florida's going to be probably a struggle uh, in 2021. But, um, you know, what? one part we look at this roster, and we've hit it plenty, plenty of times, Will, is where you know, the importance of getting those transfers there, defensive tackle. And when coaches noticed that Florida was – 
easily able to run on because look, there wasn't a lot of options there. You missed Kyrie Campbell at the beginning of the season last year. So you kind of were just rotating guys, uh, Gervin Dexter and you know, we had Zach Carter playing inside when we know he should have been playing outside and, and Florida just had to get by there and they were easily run on that time. You go back to the, the Texas A&M game in the second half of that game where Florida was just run up and down on uh, in, in that game. So coaches, you know, noticing, you know, Florida was easy to run on, but it's, Pretty, I think, pretty interesting what some coaches had to say about the relationship with Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that it should be. We 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 know that Mullen's an interesting dude. He seems to march to the beat of his own drummer, and that's one of the reasons why he wasn't the guy who was picked to be the successor when Urban Meyer left. Um, obviously, Scott Strickland had a relationship with him at Mississippi State. Thought he'd be a good fit at Florida. I think he has been a good fit at Florida, right? I mean, he's won he's won an awful lot of games. He's gotten the fan base really engaged again. There are some warts there, but there would have been warts with anybody they brought in. I mean, we could have Scott Frost right now as the head coach. So at the end of the door, Chip Kelly. So at the end of the day, you know. There are uh, there are worse things than going ten and three and playing in a major bowl game every year. Um, at the same time, yeah, I think he's difficult. To, I think he can be difficult to work with. I can see how that would be true. And then you know, Grantham doesn't seem like he's the uh, easiest person to work with either. And and I think maybe that even pushes them right that they're able to yell at each other and they're able to still be friends the next day. And and no, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot is there's there's courage in in saying I'm going to get rid of somebody and make a change but there's also courage in saying I believe in this person and I'm going to mm-hmm. have them stay and and people who come work for Dan Mullen from now on shouldn't question that guy's loyalty because a guy who didn't let go of Todd Grantham after last year is going to be loyal to his assistants and it's going to help his assistants move forward so if you want to look at the positive side of those those developments that's that's maybe the thing that you'd look at um, you know everybody keeps saying the defense has to it's going to improve yeah. It, it can't be worse. It's not going to be worse. Um, but you're right. The defensive tackle is the place that they need to focus. Gravon Dexter is probably the most important player to the Florida defense and maybe even the Florida team this year. I know there are a lot of people on the, or a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball who are, who are expected to make all the SEC teams. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. But Gravon Dexter is the guy. He needs to be an all SEC level player for this defense to be what it can be. Um, we'll see. He's got the pedigree to be able to do it. He showed flat last year but he's gonna have to be consistent but if he can really shore up the middle of that defense i think it sort of cascades downhill the linebackers get free the safeties are able to to play more in coverage and all of a sudden you've got a defense that's more smothering just because the defensive tackles are occupying people up front and freeing up everybody else to make plays uh well so i'm going back one year ago in the athlon magazine no, no idea if this is the same coach. If it's the, you know, I hope it's not because if it's the same coach, this guy was completely wrong last year. Uh, Todd Grantham has a great third down package. He really mixes it up. They can kill you there with different pressure packages because of how talented they are at every position. And well, I mean, you just somebody else just told us it was a personnel problem from <laughs> last year uh, when looking at this. So. Uh, what we saw last year was recruiting a development as backup so they don't have to be as exotic. They're shifting around less and can play you in their base. That's when the defense can be really dangerous. Whew, boy, whoever that was missed the, uh, missed the boat last year. I was there with it. Like I said, I, I lauded that defense going into last year. But I'm, betting that, I'm betting that was a South Carolina assistant who no longer has a job. <laughs> Probably from a yeah, or somebody at Tennessee or somebody, so, <laughs> yeah, one of those fired staffs. Probably that's a that's a good point, Will. So pretty interesting there the uh, stark contrast in the lauding of Todd Grantham from last year to now this year. I gotta be honest, any 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 coach who starts the sentence with he's got great third down packages when they're talking about Grantham has immediately lost the entire Gator fan base and any sort of credibility, even last year. Yeah, but exactly. after the 2020 season. He's absolutely yep. lost whatever credibility he had. So uh, we'll chalk that one up to a uh, a uh, interesting interview that they were able to do that uh, likely is with a coach who's no longer employed. <laughs> All right, Lindy's here. Uh, not as long for their approaching coaches. view. quote, I don't think Florida will be all that because they lost three damn good offensive players who will be good in the NFL. Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, Kadarius Tony. There we go. Lays it out pretty simple. Doesn't think Florida will be as good. Oh, uh, we'll be all that. My bad. He, so that makes you think, uh, not thinking highly of Florida overall there. Uh, quote, Dan Mullen is one of the brightest offensive minds in college football. What he does is simple, but he presents issues for defense. He's one of the top 
two to three quarterback developers in the country. He's coached against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart for a dozen years. He has a system to move the ball and beat Alabama and Georgia. Pretty interesting there from opposing coach there. Um, his Achilles heel is his defense. <laughs> I was shot. Here we go. Here we go. From a coach in the SEC. Well, I don't know if they're from the SEC or not, but an opposing coach says, I was shot. He didn't get rid of Todd Grantham. They played poorly on defense in big games, and they have plenty of players on defense. Dan needs to pick up his recruiting and get a staff that gets big-time talent. So opposing coaches can say that, Will, and uh, well, maybe some people will listen there. <laughs> so was that, the, was that the same coach for that entire quote? No, no, no. Uh, there's three bullet points there. So okay. I'm assuming three different um, – three different coaches there. Cause of course, you know, the first one says, I don't think Florida will be all that. And then the second coach law to Mullen for his quarterback development and, and, and all that. So yeah, three separate quotes there. Um, but pretty interesting there. The Achilles heels is defense and pretty much the same thing we've said, pick up recruiting and get a staff that has, that can get big time talent. Yeah, I'm not real worried about Mullen's offense. I think they're going to be able to put up about the same amount of points they did last year. It might be a little bit, it might be a little bit more volatile. You know, like you might score 45 one game and then you'll score 20 the next, and then you put up 63 the next game, um, just because you're able to you're able to get some big plays with 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 the guys they've got in there. I'm not anticipating a huge drop off there. I, I think the big problem is. is the the reason that we picked Florida last year, or the reason you picked Florida last year, I think I picked Georgia, but the reason you picked Florida last year to win the SEC East is because Georgia had to play Auburn and Alabama. And and that fundamentally, I think, is the reason why most people would pick Georgia this year, is that Florida has to play Alabama and Georgia does not. And and so that it, you're pretty much guaranteed going into the season with one SEC loss. I don't and I don't know why every I mean look I get it Kyle Pitts is a great player Kadarius Tony's a great player Kyle Trask is a great player but it's not as though Mullen doesn't have a track record of being able to get get production out of guys who aren't even really that good right I mean Nick Fitzgerald was not a good passing quarterback at Mississippi State they were still scoring 34 35 points a game and you know I I, I was looking back for some reason today a decade ago Will Muschamp and Charlie Weiss were <laughs> were in Gainesville calling plays and trying to figure out how to get the offense to 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 move down the field we ain't going back to that, right? There's no Doug Nussmeyer calling plays. Dan Mullen's going to be calling plays. He's going to be able to get a lot out of his offense. Is it going to be exactly the same? No. Is it going to be as explosive? Absolutely not. Are there going to be more punts? Sure. But I also think there might be more big plays, right? They'll be able to pop some big plays that they weren't able to pop last year because of the skills that Emory Jones brings to the table. Um, so I'm surprised that, that there really isn't this – you know, the idea that the offense is going to take a step back, I just don't think Dan Mullen's history suggests that. I think, you know, in a really bad year, they're going to score 32 points a game. And if and if Emory Jones comes in and plays lights out, they're going to score 40 points a game. But it's going to be somewhere between there. And, and at a school like Florida, that means you're winning eight or nine games minimum. Yep. All right, here we go, Will. So now we'll widen the scope a little bit. We'll go kind of across the country. Not really across the country, but look at Florida from – uh, a wide scope of All-American, All-SEC, and here we go. Kyrie Elam is the only All-American in both magazines, Will. He's second team in both public pub, both publications here. No surprise, Kyrie Elam uh, is, is an All-American. Um, maybe a bit of surprise after what you saw last year from Florida. And you kind of just maybe think of uh, of one year from another that you know Florida would probably have another uh, somebody, another player on all on an all-American team, but when you really sit and think about it, you can't argue that. I mean, Kyrie is <laughs> the only guy I can really think of that deserves to be on an on an all-American team. Uh, when you start looking at you know best players uh, in the SEC, best players in the country, I mean, Kyrie is pretty much the only one up there as far as proven playmakers going into the season. Now, can we see an Emory Jones, a Jacob Copeland, hopefully a Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard, top of running back uh, there. Can we see somebody like a Brenton Cox or a Zach Carter by the time the season ends? Absolutely. But going into this season, when you start looking at All-Americans, it's more about proven production. And Kyrie Elam is really the only guy that's on there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, Elam was the best player in the defense last year. Um, isn't saying a lot, but I think he played really well as as, as the boundary corner there. And, and then we'll, the – We'll go to your point there, and you can expound on that. And good for these publications also, I think, to maybe dive in a little bit 
as god awful as Florida's defense was last year, to be able to still pinpoint and pick out Kyrie them for this, you know, an All American position. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think at the end of the day, Elam is the guy who ha- had the pedigree coming in, started as a true freshman, made some big plays there coming down the stretch, the interception against Virginia that sealed that game. Um, and, and then you start uh, – and then you look at what he did last year on film. He was he was very, very good. The problem was elsewhere, right? The problem was not with Kyrie Elam for the most part. Did he get beat every once in a while? Absolutely. But was he getting beat consistently? No, not not. Not very often. You could do a lot and leave him basically on an island against the best, the, the opposition's best player and p- feel pretty comfortable about that. So I, I look at that and say, yeah, I think that's somebody who is who is worthwhile putting in that place. The interesting thing is I'd have to go back and look at it, but all SEC players, at least Bill Sykes did some stuff for my site maybe, maybe five or six months ago, looking at all SEC players that are necessary for championships and things like that. And one of the things that I noted when I sort of did a follow-up on that was that most of the time, the all SEC players come from people who be, who were freshmen all SEC, and Ooh. so Kyrie Elam, I believe, was a freshman all SEC player, and so it makes sense that as he develops into his sophomore and junior year, that he would develop into either an all SEC caliber player or an all American caliber player. The thing that has been missing at Florida recently has been those freshman all SEC players, yeah. and that's sort of maybe what I'd be looking for this year from the Gators is not necessarily does Zach Carter become an All-American? I'd be looking for, does Jason Marshall make the freshman All-SEC team or All-American team? And that's going to tell you a lot about not just Florida this year, but about what the potential for Florida in 2023 and, and beyond is going to be. Oh, oh, yeah, I like that aspect there. And Yeah, hopefully we do see some freshmen uh, there toward the end of the year. So, all right, Will, let's, uh, let's uh, zoom in a little bit and let's go to All-SEC. And for Athlon, they go four teams, four team deep here. Six all SEC players in Athlon will as compared to 11 the year before for Florida. So five less players on all SEC from 2020 to 2021 for Florida. So Florida has six total will. Bama has four first teamers, 15 total (laughs) all SEC players for Alabama. Georgia has three first teamers, 14 total uh, for Florida. The first, second, and third teamers are all on defense. Zach Carter, Kyrie Elam make the first team. Ventrell Miller makes second team. Brenton Cox makes third team. All on defense, while Emory and Jacob Copeland are the only offensive players on Athlon's all-SEC team, and they are both fourth team in, in, in Athlon. So, we'll a couple things here. The drop from 2020 to 2021 uh, in, in total players. Of course, right now, Alabama, Georgia's being picked. You could probably predict that they're going to be, you know, Florida's going to have less players uh, on them. But also, Will, the balance of defense and offense. And you know, we, we, we hinted at this toward the end of last year. And, like when, and I remember – sometime in in the spring saying if you were to list Florida's best players for as bad as the defense was last season, you're probably going to start with four or five defensive players out of the top five for Florida. When you look at just start listing players who have proven, proven production going into 2021. So as good as the offense was and as bad as the defense was last season, when you start listing Florida's best players, they're going to be on defense. And that's kind of what this all SEC team shows for Athlon is you know, Florida's best players are on defense. And when you look at Zach Carter, Kyrie Elam, Ventrell Miller, Brenton Cox, they're getting a whole lot of love going into 2021. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but those 11 guys who were listed last year, I'm guessing Marco Wilson was on that list. I'm guessing Sean Davis might have been on that list. I'm guessing Diabate oh, might have been on that list. Finally, go ahead. Yep. Did they did they have Kyrie Campbell on that list? So you start looking at some of the guys who struggled last year, wonder whether they were on that list. And then the other thing is, is that it makes sense that the defense would be the thing where we'd say, hey, those that's where Florida's best players are. There's nobody left on the offense who, <laughs> who was a major contributor last year, right? I mean, your quarterback is out. We expect that the running backs are going to be replaced, or at least a lot of their production is going to be replaced by guys that we think are probably better. Your tight here's end is big, gone. Here's, you're, the you're, detriment, Will. here's the big detriment. Athlon's first team quarterback last year won Georgia quarterback Jamie Newman. It wasn't Stetson <laughs> Bennett? 
<laughs> Kyle Trask was second team, so we saw him on the world that one last year. <laughs> Somehow Mac Jones still snaked him out for that one. But now, I mean, so the the point is, is that guys like Trent Whittemore, guys like Justin Shorter, um, guys like Keon Zipper, guys like Xavier Henderson probably are more talented as an aggregate than the guys you're talking about on the defensive side of the ball. It's just that the guys on the defensive side of the ball we've at least seen can be reliable in stretches, and yeah. we want to see that consistently, right? So I think that's one of the things about the defense last year is there were a few games where they looked absolutely clueless. But for the most part, it was a couple of guys every time not doing what they were supposed to do, being out of position or just getting beat. It wasn't like everybody on defense getting beat on every play. Now, obviously, um, the defense itself as a whole wasn't very good, but part of that is trust. I mean, a couple, I remember in 2017 diagramming some plays in the secondary where Florida's, where Florida's defense was just getting gashed, and it really came down to the corners and the safeties didn't trust each other. And it felt like we saw that a little bit last year, and I think I think spring camp and fall camp is going to hopefully help rectify that. There was also going to be younger guys to compete, which is something that I don't know that Florida was comfortable doing last year. Um, so I sort of look at it and say it's it's if Trevon Grimes had decided to come back, right, we would look at that and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be the breakout guy. But I don't know. Based on his history, you know, would he have wound up with 40 catches for 600 yards just like he had the last couple of years? And then would that have stifled somebody like Copeland from stepping up or somebody like Henderson from stepping up or somebody like Whittemore from stepping up? Maybe so. I mean, that's the reality, right, is that there's a lot of turnover on offense. So there's nobody that anybody's going to look for at a preseason magazine and say that guy's going to be all SEC. But the reality is I think if you look back at Mullen's offenses, I bet that's where more of his all SEC players came from than the defenses, even at Mississippi State. And I think that'll probably be the case this year. So if Florida gets the hits on the all SEC for the defense. I think that may bode well for the Gators because you figure they're going to get two, three, four guys from Mullen's offense. Just, you know, if I'm saying they're going to score 35 points a game, they're going to have a couple of guys who make that team and, and do it at much higher than the, uh, than the fourth team. Will, I hate to cherry pick, but can we just get that defense that played in the third quarter versus Alabama? In the third quarter of the SEC championship. If we can get that defense, we can get anything close to that defense. I mean, sign me up for that right now. Uh, you know, that was uh, they put up performance to get Florida back in that game and just uh, just a little bit keep and keep them there. But if we could we could get that defense, you know, I, and I say that because of course it was versus the best team in the country. And second, it was toward the end of the season, and you had you know some players that are going to be on this defense making plays. Mambu Diabate, Zach Carter, you had a lot of guys who were going to be on this year's defense. If we just – I want to go back, watch that game a little bit, then you know, if we can just get get that defense, uh, you know, then maybe, maybe you can, that, that, that's something you can build on uh, for, for going back and looking at that game. Yeah, watch the second half. Don't watch the last 10 minutes of the second quarter, that's for sure. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> you know, I, look, I mean, I, I think that the defense, the, the, the defense is going to be better. The, the, the talent there, that, that was sort of, that was why I asked you whether those quotes were together when you, when you listen, because, yeah, right. because one statement says they have too much talent to be as bad on defense. And the next statement says they need to recruit better. And both of those <laughs> things can't be true. It's one, it's one problem or the other. Um, I think at the end of the day, though, it's a Todd Grantham problem. He's got to figure it out. Um, and then I've, I've said this pretty consistently during the offseason, I, I don't know that people have paid a lot of attention to me when I've said it, but I, I think 2021 is a rebuilding year, right? I mean, you took your shot last year. One of the things we sort of talked about with recruiting in the ninth, 10th, 11th spot is that you're going to have to cluster these guys together and you're not going to be a consistent you know, you're going to be a consistent competitor in the SEC East, but you're not going to be a consistent winner in the SEC East or the SEC. At, at 10th, it's just not possible to do it, right? There, There's a talent differential. And so you're going to get an opportunity every once in a while. So LSU a couple of years ago was able to take take advantage of that. Auburn every once in a while was able to take advantage of that. Um, Georgia hasn't really been able to take advantage of it yet, even though they're there consistently year after year after year. Mullen was able to take advantage of it to win the East. He wasn't able to take advantage of it to win the SEC or get into the playoff. That's sort of the next step. I don't know that that's a reasonable expectation for 2021. And so I'm not surprised to see that the number of all SEC players is relatively low. The other thing is with all the quarterback changeover that's happening at Alabama, you figure that a lot of the guys surrounding the quarterback are going to get credit this year. Whereas last year, a lot of that credit went to the wide receivers and the quarterback. That's not going to be the case this year. So if Alabama's defense is lights out, or if the running game is really good, then you get three offensive linemen on the first team and, you know, a couple of defensive linemen. And all of a sudden you're, you're halfway to the 14 or whatever that number was that you cited earlier that Alabama's got on like the top three teams. Yep. All right. We'll zoom through here. Lindy's 
they're they're all SEC only goes three teams deep, while uh, Athlon goes four teams deep. Uh, so on Lindy's, Florida has four all SEC players compared to nine the year before in the three teams. Three of the four on defense again, uh, which Stuart Reese will be the only offensive player that Lindy's list as a center on the third team there. So kind of surprising there. Uh, he did play there in the spring a little bit. Uh, didn't light the world on fire like we thought. Now we do maybe some projection here of going back to this run style offense for Dan Mullen and John Hevesy that you see a player like Stuart Reese who played in that style of offense at Mississippi State is an offensive lineman that can be counted on uh, when, when, when Florida moves forward. But it's Kyrie Elam on the first team all SEC and Ventro Miller, Britton Cox. On all on Lindy's all's SEC um, second team, uh, surprised they didn't have Zach Carter on the third team there. So probably um, the that, the biggest surprise, along with Stuart Reese being listed uh, on the offense there on Lindy's. So all right, we'll uh, let's scope it back out to the uh, national unit rankings. Lindy's doesn't have a single position grouping for Florida in top ten in the country. So when they start listing quarterbacks, running backs, wide receiver groupings, offensive line groupings on offense, of course, defensive line, linebacker, secondary. Uh, Lindy's doesn't have a single position grouping that Florida ranks in the top ten in the country. Athlon only has Florida one, and they give, even with all the talent lost, Will, Athlon ranks the Gators wide receiver unit seventh best in the country. So you lose Kyle Pitts, you lose Kadarius Tony, you lose Trevon Grimes, Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson, Tripp Whittemore, Keon Zipper all return, and that's good for Athlon to put Florida at seventh in the country. Yeah, I'm not sure I get that one. I think if I was going to pick the units that I think are going to be good, I'd say running backs is one that I think might be a really good unit for Florida. I think linebacker has an opportunity to be really good, especially if, like I said, if Dexter yeah. can, can step up in the defensive line. If those transfers can hold their own up front, then that frees up the linebackers to do an awful lot of stuff. And then I think corner, right? I mean, the idea that you've got a guy like Jason Marshall coming in with Kair Elam on the other side, I think makes a difference and. And that's not necessary. And, and I have a surprise for you there on this next topic. Well, and then I was going to say they've got Janarius Perkins coming as a transfer as well, right? And he's he's really gotten sort of the the laudits in terms of being that big corner who can potentially then push Marshall into the to the inside if they need to do that. So I think those are sort of the the spaces I'm looking at um, is is running back, linebacker, and defensive back at least at corner are the places where Florida can probably has an opportunity to be elite. Um, a lot of stuff has to go right for the for those positions to be elite, but you figure one out of three is probably going to hit at least. Yeah, so they they gave no um, they gave no reasoning. They just had a listing. All right, Florida was the Athlon was the wide receivers was the only one uh, that was listed as a national unit ranking here. So it, let's go to SEC unit rankings, Will. That's where we can really you know hone in on Florida. So here we go, Florida fourth best quarterback room in the SEC. That is behind. Let's see if I can put this together. Ole Miss, number one, Matt Corral. No surprise there. Alabama, number two. No surprise there. Georgia, number three, giving JT Daniels love there. Florida, number four, behind that. So, of course, they, they I think, put the really the emphasis on the starting quarterback there. I think you look at Florida's quarterback room, you take a look at the aggregate and the depth there, you probably could push Florida up a little more uh, there. But I think you know, they, they weigh that with starters, uh, and rightfully so, so much. So Florida, fourth-best running quarterback room in the SEC. They give the running back room fifth. Will, wide receivers slash tight ends, the third-best wide receiver unit in the SEC. Here it is, uh, is what Athlon says. Eighth-best offensive line unit there for the Caters. Um, fifth defensive line linebacker, third best linebacker core. We're, we'll go into your point there uh, for Florida. And here's the surprise, Will. Never in my wildest dreams after last year, you can absolutely see why. Never did I think Florida would have the sixth ranked defensive backfield. Uh, when you look at this, you know, the DBU moniker and all the guys who have played uh, for Florida in the defensive backfield the last 20 years, 30 years, Florida, sixth best DB unit in the SEC. Now, this is where I, this is what I don't get, Will. They have LSU number two. 
LSU's defense and secondary was just as bad as Florida's last year. But for whatever reason, you know, Derek Stingley gets a whole lot of love. Kyrie Elam's usually right behind him. I mean, if you're going to grade Florida so harshly on what they did on defense last year in the secondary, shouldn't you probably grade LSU in the same in, in the same scope? I mean, you would think so, but again, I think Stingley has a reputation that that helps with that sort of stuff when when you've got people who are looking at it, and and I think there's a lot of projection that has to go on, right? I mean, Elam played pretty well last year. We already talked about that, and the secondary still got torched. So obviously, it takes more than Elam playing well, and so guys like. Marshall, who I've already mentioned, but guys like Donovan McMillan, who have been getting a lot of pub over the over the offseason. And then and then you've got Jadarius Perkins I mentioned earlier coming in. You know, those guys are gonna have to meld with the guys that they've got at safety. And there's just not a lot of proven stuff back there. So last year, I think people thought that Florida secondary was gonna be consistent but not elite because they had a lot of experience. Now you got a lot of guys who are you I think the talent in the room has gone up considerably. But now you don't have the experience. And so I go back to what I said about 2021 being a rebuilding year that early on, especially, there may be some growing pains as those guys learn. I mean, if you think back to, I think it was 2007, where Joe Hayden was a true freshman and Hayden was a heck of a player. But at the end of the day, that 2017, God, that Michigan bowl game, <laughs> Tebow's won the Heisman and, and Florida couldn't stop Michigan in that bowl game to save their life. And and so that's one of those things where you can envision something like that happening. But the other thing I think that maybe we need to take into consideration is I, if, if I were Todd Grantham, I would have the Texas A&M and the Alabama games on in the weight room just on a loop. And I would want those guys to be so upset and embarrassed. Maybe their media doesn't see it and get out their pennies on it a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, you just look at it and you say – these guys have pride and I can't imagine that their pride hasn't been hurt. And in some respects, that to me is probably the driver and the improvement more than anything. You think they're not going to be paying attention when fall camp starts. You think they're not going to be paying attention to Savage when he's, when he's trying to kill him during the off season. You think they weren't paying attention to the spring. I, you know, for all of the talk about, about Mullen, not caring about the, the, the cotton bowl. And I think that's all true at the same time. I think in some respects that sends a message too that you know you leave the offseason, you guys aren't as good as you think you were. And and there's real areas to improve. You should be embarrassed by these performances, and we're gonna make sure we drill that in. So I, I think in some cases it's not even a talent, it's not even a talent issue or necessarily a um you know, you know, an execution issue. It's it's an attitude issue, and we didn't see a whole lot of attitude last year. And so, I think the Maybe. secondary is going to have a very different attitude. And even if they're getting beat, I think they'll be better just because of that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I brought that up too. It's, and I think that started back in spring and, and all that, getting your head right and, and get some getting some confidence back. I think they lost their confidence early in the season, and I don't think they ever got it back. Uh, and I think um, you know, hopefully, coaching changes there help. Uh, along the way and getting getting some kind of mindset there that you have to play that you have to be able to play that way uh, in the Florida secondary. Well, this is ridiculous though. I didn't even notice this until I just looked at it. Alabama doesn't have an SEC unit ranking lower than second. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, quarterback, mean, running back one, wide receiver one, offensive line one, defensive line two, linebacker one, DB one. I mean. I'd have to go back and look at last year. I don't think they were getting that much love last year. I mean, they've won what, like six of the last twelve championships, or something like that. Yeah, I shouldn't be surprised, but that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, and I mean, the rich keep getting richer. It's not as though Saban's showing slowing down over there. They just signed like a lifetime contract, so uh, you know we're gonna. He's going to have to like slip on an ice patch or something for us to be able to get rid of him. And, uh, you know, yeah, he's built a behemoth there. And the reality is, is that this Alabama dynasty is more impressive than probably just about any program that's been built in college football. Maybe if you go back to like some of those Oklahoma teams, some of those Miami teams in, in the early 2000s, I think were good enough to be able to compete with a team like this, but they didn't have the sustained success. Um yeah. You know, but again, I think one of the things that has been proven year after year after year is that there are times to get Saban. Those times to get him are early in the year, and those times to get him are when he's making changes in quarterbacks. Now, that hasn't been true the last few years. Obviously, nobody got him last year with Mac Jones. Tua came in and played immediately. But 
before that, the offense was something where you had an opportunity to get Jake Coker. You had the opportunity to get um, was it Blake Sims, I think, was the quarterback. So th- there have been opportunities to get him when he's changed quarterbacks because he has not always necessarily picked the guy who was a world beater. We'll see what happens with with the guy they got now. I mean, he's he's a highly ranked recruit, and obviously, um, Lindy's has him pretty high there. But I, I think it's dangerous to say somebody's going to be the best quarterback in the country when you've seen him throw like six passes. <laughs> Uh, last year, Will, Alabama, third quarterback, running back one, wide receiver one, offensive line one, defensive line two, linebacker three, DB four. So there we go. It was a little a little, a little worse last year for a national championship team <laughs> <laughs> So uh, compared to this year. All right, last one, Will, we'll go to Lindy's and how they rate in the SEC, the unit rankings here. And they have Florida quarterback room sixth best behind Auburn. Behind Auburn <laughs> and Auburn, Lindy's has above. Emory well, they brought Jones. in TJ Fenley as a backup, right? So that's now, true, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure they put that in here. But good point. But I still don't think uh, that he's included. But Brian Harson and Bo Nix above Emory Jones and Dan Mullen. Sorry, uh, I, I can't. I can't wrap my head around that one. Now, whoever wrote that one needs to be fired too, because <laughs> I'm not sure Bo Nix could hit water if he fell out of a boat. Like he is just his his accuracy has not been good since high school. It wasn't good his freshman year in college. It wasn't good last year. I don't know why we expect he's going to be anything other than Jake Locker. Right. He, yeah. Jake Locker was that guy at Washington that everybody thought was going to develop and develop and develop. And when you looked at his underlying statistics, he said he's just not accurate. And he wasn't accurate at Washington. He wasn't accurate in high school. And he wasn't accurate in the NFL, but he had a cannon. And so everybody was like, oh, this is a great quarterback. And um, I've been on this train for a while where I've, where I've looked at, especially in terms of transitions from high school to, to college, that accuracy says something about your ability to read a defense. Because if you're constantly trying to fit the ball into tight spots in college, that means you're throwing to the wrong guy. And, and we've seen that a few times. I mean, even, even a couple of years ago in the, in the Auburn game that Florida won, I think Auburn should have won that game. There were a couple – there was a play where Nick's had a guy wide open running down the field, and he completed the pass, but he threw it in a way where the guy like somersaulted as he caught it and wasn't able to go into the end zone. And then they turned the ball over like two or three plays later, and all of a sudden Florida sort of averts a disaster. Those sorts of things uh, – yeah, anybody who puts Auburn's quarterback room in front of Florida's at this point, especially when you factor in the aggregate because – you know, we haven't yeah. seen a lot of Anthony Richardson, but the potential there is is significant, and especially when you consider what Mullen's been able to do with quarterbacks. Um, the, the the thing the thing I think that people are sort of missing is the Brian Johnson factor. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about this until earlier this week, but I was looking at it. Johnson was there. He came into Mississippi State as the quarterback coach in 2014 when Dak Prescott made that leap. And he left right before Nick Fitzgerald took over and really wasn't very good through the air. And then he comes in in 2018 at Florida as the quarterback coach. And Felipe Franks really makes a leap from being really bad in 2017 to being average to even really being above average by the end of the year. And then you look at what Kyle Trask was able to do. To, to do developing under Brian Johnson. That's actually the, sort of the hidden thing that I think we should we should think about when we think about the quarterback room is Dan Mullins had a lot of success with a lot of different quarterbacks, but the two most successful quarterbacks he's had, Brian Johnson's been the quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator. Yeah, and I know that quarterback room, especially Emory Jones, close, loved Brian Johnson. Uh, and a really good relationship there uh, with the quarterback coach and the quarterbacks uh, there. So, yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, pure coaching wise, I think, you know, Dan Mullen's got that too. But I do think relationships can have a lot to do with that too. And we'll see how that uh, uh, transfers as well. Uh, quarterback room from Lindy's Georgia one, Ole Miss two. I actually like, they got old, uh, LSU third and I, and I deep quarterback room, quarterbacks that played a lot last year um, with Miles Brennan, Max Johnson. Uh, two good quarterbacks there for LSU. So uh, no no problem with them being number three and above Alabama uh, in my eyes there. So running backs, here we go. Florida number nine there. We talk about, you know, Florida's depth going five deep. Lindy's not a big fan of this Florida offense or not not as big a fan uh, for this Florida offense. But Marcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard, and you had the three guys from last year as well uh, returning. I, I probably depth wise, I'd probably have Florida a little bit higher than night too. And, and that's a little bit of projection. We do have to see these five stars live up to their potential. And we do need some more explosive plays out of the, the running backs that are returning uh, receivers. They have Florida's number six in the sec. Uh, when Athlon had Florida's seven in the nation, 
there. So, like I said, Lindy's not as high on the Florida offense. And they had the Florida offensive line number nine in the country. <clears throat> Move to defense. Uh, Lindy's has Florida's defensive line seventh best in the SEC. Uh, Florida's linebackers fifth best in the conference. And the secondary, they have Florida fourth best. So they like the Florida secondary more than Athlon does. Uh, those Lindy's have got the fourth best behind LSU, Alabama, and Texas A&M there. So, Will, anything uh, catch, catch your eye there? Just that it really kind of goes in order of recruiting, right? That when you think about these things that are that are and the rankings, I mean, yeah, they vary a little bit. But if you took the aggregate, if you took the average of all of these different teams that they list these different position groupings, I was going to do that and ran out of time. But <laughs> I mean, it sort of goes <laughs> back and points to Florida's been fourth or fifth in the SEC overall in recruiting for the past decade, really at this point, and that's that's kind of where everybody ranks in preseason. Now you could say that those rankings are biased and that and that uh, Dan Mullen is going to be able to develop these guys better than other people, and maybe you're right, and so they end up being second or third. Um, the the question is going to be. You know, week three, we get to find out, right? They're going to be playing the team that's ranked first or second in every category, and uh, and we'll find out real quick what we got. Yep, yep, yep. There. So preseason magazines out. Everybody go to your newsstands. I, I enjoy them. I just like I said, it's the only physical reading material that I buy every year. Everything else, I uh, <laughs> I digitally read all my books and and magazines and stuff pretty much digitally. But those are the still the most uh, physical media that I will buy. Um, I'll be uh, enjoying them on, uh, on the flight next week, uh, Will, for, for vacation. So, uh, Braden Gall will be our guest next week on Gatorade Breakdown. He works for Athlon Sports, so we'll dive even more into these preseason magazines, get his thoughts from the Athlon side. From the Athlon side, from Braden Gall will join us. So, uh, even more uh, preseason talk, uh, preseason magazine talk next week, Will. Oh, that's awesome. This is such a fun time of year. And these magazines are great, right? They give us some fodder to talk about. Um, obviously, have a great time while you're out there with, with your wife sipping up, sipping the pina coladas on the beach there, buddy. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hold down the fort till you get back. Yep, yep. I'll release that episode next Monday. I leave next Tuesday. So uh, before I leave, that episode will be up. Uh, and, and ready to go. I won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't let you guys miss a week, even though I'm, I'll be on vacation. <laughs> Hey, it takes a commitment to be to be Gator Dave. So uh, I'm sure everybody will appreciate having it next week. But uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to hear an outsider's perspective who really sort of looks at the SEC and the country as a whole and see what he thinks about Florida. Obviously, you and I are real close to the program in terms of how closely we follow it, and 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 I do think that sometimes that colors the opinions in in good ways and bad ways. So it's good to get the outside opinion and somebody who's really taking a more holistic look at the entire country and the entire uh, conference. Yep, yep, yep. So that, that's next week there, and we'll, we'll have some more fodder uh, between these uh, preseason magazines as well. Plenty of content to go in there to kind of last us uh, through the summer as well uh, to get some of those extra episodes in and and, and, and further the conversation here on uh, Gators Breakdown. So, uh, Will, I know uh, you had a you and I both kind of been out there on this college football expansion, college football playoff expansion stuff. So your latest article, League Reaction, details that um, and uh, the talk for uh you know your shows on youtube and stuff like that but uh that that change is going to happen we can get into that to another time when we have more time but uh anything else coming up at reading reaction on the on the written side uh, I mean, there's going to be some stuff. So Nick's finishing up his Charlie Pell series. That's going to be coming up. I do encourage people to go take a look at the article. I, I am obviously, and you are obviously not in favor of the 12 team playoff, but if they're going to do the 12 team playoff, I want them to do some things that increase parity. Cause otherwise all we're doing is sending coastal Carolina out to get slaughtered by Alabama and, and Clemson. And so instead of doing it that way, is there a way to make that tournament more fun? If that's the way we're actually going to go. So that was sort of the idea of the article was to say, Hey, we know this is coming. I don't like it, but at the end of the day, it's coming. How do we make it more fun? How do we make it work um, for 12 teams in a way where it's where it's an entertaining tournament, but it also helps the regular season be a little bit better as well? Because that's my big concern is that, you know, the, the game against Alabama week three is a critical game for Florida this year. I don't know that three years from now that's going to be the case. And, and and so I think there are some things college football can do or hopefully can do to make things a little bit uh, a little bit better. Yeah, I got my thoughts out there about the the expanded playoff. Like you said, well, it's coming. So I tried to look at the good in it and and and, and explain what I do like about it. There's not much, but <laughs> what I do like about an expanded 
12 team college football playoff. Hey, I, so. I do have to say, I'm excited about doing a live Gators breakdown the Friday before a playoff game in the swamp. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm, a cra- I'm crazy. So like, I will watch, you know, some random division two football game in, in the middle of, in the middle of the, the desert when there's nothing else going on. You give me a college football playoff. Obviously, I'm going to eat that up. My concern yeah. is is what it does to the casual fan, and my concern is what it does to the thing that makes college football special. Right over the last 30 years, this sport has grown by leaps and bounds by feeding the blue bloods and sort of allowing those programs to succeed. And you know, nobody in the state of Florida is really a UCF fan or a USF fan. I mean, there 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 are people who claim to be, but the the Gators or the, or the Seminoles or the Hurricanes are their first team that they follow and then they went to usf or ucf and start following them it's the same thing in 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 different states right i mean i'm up here in philadelphia and there are people who went to penn and drexel and temple and they're all penn state fans because they grew up in penn state was the behemoth in that area same thing i'm sure happens in ohio so um that's the thing you lose when you start opening this up is that if a team like ucf can make that tournament then you lose sort of the centrality of all of the different fan base of all the different people who didn't necessarily go to Florida, but are huge Gator fans who didn't go to Florida state, but are huge Seminoles fans. That's one of the things that makes the sunshine state rivalry. So fun is everybody has picked one of the three and those teams play each other often enough that somebody gets bragging rights and, and uh, you know, bragging rights are going to have to be enough because at the end of the day, they're all going to make the tournament. (laughs) That's right. That's right. All right. There we go. You can find Will Miles at readingreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>